Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Thank you for stopping by for another episode of the Phase World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. Phase World Podcast is a platform where I ignite sung and unsung heroes, ranging from world-class artists, musicians, writers, athletes, other individuals, and, and organizations that are changing our planet for the better. I love helping these people share their stories with the world. It is with great pleasure for me to welcome Wade Devers, Executive Creative Director and Managing Director from Arnold Worldwide. Wade always leaves a unique impression. When I first walked in the door at Arnold's office back in December 2013, I must have met dozens of people on day one. I remember forcing myself to remember all the names, faces, and at the same time feeling completely overwhelmed. But when Wade walked by me for the first time, I remember thinking to myself, that beard, that face, and that outfit, but most importantly, that spirit. Wade is both funny and fun to be around. He truly doesn't look or dress like anybody else I've ever met in my life, which makes remembering him incredibly easy. But what I like most about Wade is his spirit, which I refer to as spiritually warm. By that I mean you just can't help wanting to be friends with him. If you're listening to this episode because you come from Arnold and have worked with Wade before, you will likely discover many things you didn't know about him. We talk about agency life, of course, such as what is it like to be an executive creative director in Boston? Only a dozen or so jobs like this in the city. Working on some of the coolest brands in the country and around the world. How Wade transformed from a young designer to a creative director. How does Wade approach work, creativity on a daily basis? What does he look for in a new hire? The conversation doesn't stop at the agency talk as we dive in deeper into Wade's secret origin stories. Thank you for listening to this podcast and please let me know your feedback via phaseworld.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, all with the same social handle that is phaseworld, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. This is such a fun episode for me to record and really hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Without further ado, please welcome Wade Devers. I found myself as a seven-year-old American boy in Scotland without a father with a funny accent and funny clothes and, you know, a lot of sort of curiosity. You go where your heart wants to go, that's how I got to Memphis. And they had this local ham, it was like a prosciutto type ham, like a dried ham. But the thing was cured with maggots. This has been cured like this for probably thousands of years. How bad could it possibly be? It's gotta be great. And it was amazing. I've gotta find her and find out the trouble she's in. 
If you tell me that she is not here I'd follow the trail of her tears That's how I got to Memphis That's how I got to Life is a lot better if you are honest and you are straightforward and you try to make the people around you happy. Well, yeah, I think like we all have Wade fever. Yeah, all of us. totally. <laughs> what heritage? Are we recording? Yes, no. so okay. we'll just start whenever okay. we want. Yep. Um, what, what heritage? Where is uh, Devers from? Well, um, as far as I know, uh, Devers is a, a variation of Devereaux, which is French, and at some point Devereaux ended up in Ireland and became O Devereaux, mm -hmm. and then when my, I think it was my great-grandparents on my father's side moved to the United States, it was shortened to Devers. Something like that, you know, like a, due to an, an immigration type thing, you know, mm. and not wanting to seem Irish. Yeah. So it was shortened from O Devereux, mm -hmm. or perhaps even O Devers to Devers. So that's my fa that's my parents, my father's side of the family. Mm. Yeah. Every name has a story. I know this happened uh, um, to a lot of Jewish last names as well. Yep, very true. Lots of names. Yeah. yeah. Or like even the Italians, I think, took, and I think I know this from the Godfather, they took like the region that they were from because mm. that was probably on their passport or their papers or something like that. I love it. I yeah. love those movies. Maybe mm. not the third one, but the first two. Wow. Oh, totally. Yeah, I love I love mafia films. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. And Sopranos, like mm. I didn't start watching them until I mean recently, it's in a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think when when Sopranos was on though, like it, in its first seasons. There wasn't that much competition. Like it was either you watched The Sopranos or you watched what was on regular TV. Yeah. Like there was a few shows on HBO, mm -hmm. but now I think when I started to watch it, it was I was too easily distracted because there were so many shows on. Mm -hmm. And I think I was probably you know just watching something that, that I thought was more interesting, like Breaking Bad or something like that. Oh. Breaking Bad is making the TV industry go the completely different tangent. I feel like after Breaking that, so good, yeah. so good, and. It, Everything Such else a high bar. Have you seen oh. A Better Call Saul? Have you watched that yet? Oh, I watched a couple of episodes. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. It's got a decent start. I like that guy. I think he's a really good character. So funny. But I'll probably keep watching that. I'll, I'll probably stick with that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Sweet. So what a, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for... No, no. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a million reasons to interview you. I, uh, first of all, I feel like I owe my... Uh, listeners that you are Wade Devers and yes. you're an executive creative director here at Arnold Worldwide. That's what they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we're, we're a really big agency. We're mm -hmm. very well known and um, people with your type of jobs in the entire city. One day I was thinking maybe like a dozen or so out there. So it's yes, really rare. Yes, a small handful. Yeah, in the city for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you have so much to share. I want to give people a preview that we are not only here to talk about creativity mm -hmm. agency, um, but also food, mm. cars, mm. parenthood. Oh, yes. Yeah, all mm -hmm. that jazz. Your your music, your band. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. 
Lots of shit going on. Lots of shit. <laughs> there we go. Explicit. You told me I was allowed to swear. Oh, please yeah. do. Please do. I realize okay. that more explicit. I'll keep it fairly mild, though. Yeah, it's okay. He's I am a gentleman, after all. I know. <laughs> I noticed that. Oh, absolutely. I had the pleasure to work with you on a, a pretty significant project, not to give it all away. Mm -hmm. But so far, the experience has been superb. Excellent. Um, yeah, definitely. You, you said the bar very high. I remember when I joined Arnold about a year, two months ago, mm -hmm. and uh, for, let's just say for about a year, we didn't really work on anything, barely no. any meetings. No, we um, passed each other in the hallway, probably said hi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking to myself, naturally, you know, like when in the high school yearbook, that there's a typically a couple of pages, like the most beautiful eyes, the mm -hmm. most something. Yep. And I feel like if I were to give you a, like a title, that'd be the most huggable. Like, oh, yeah. I am definitely huggable. <laughs> <laughs> Very approachable and um, yep. and so memorable. Uh, you know, I think we're all here on Earth trying to be like, uh, you know, remembered in some way. But right. then I hate to say that some people look very generic. Yes, true. That's true. I hate to admit it, but that, that is true of some people. <laughs> and act very generically as well. Um, well, I'm very flattered. Now I'm embarrassed. You can't see that I'm getting red, but it's all very, very flattering. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I was thinking this morning because I get really excited right before the interview, like on the same day, and mm -hmm. I feel like you have this Buddha nature to you. Mm. And it's my belly. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna <laughs> remind you that. To it's good luck. <laughs> yeah. To yeah. the Westerners, they you may think there's one particular figure, like physical figure related to Buddha, but yeah. in um, other parts of Asia, like Buddhas are sometimes perceived as like women figures as hmm. well or fit could be you know it's like very different body yeah. shapes so I have to be very careful I think it's really you're what I'm trying to say is you're very spiritually warm so that's what you mean by Buddha yes spiritually warm I like that yeah I like to think of myself as spiritually warm sure <laughs> that's yeah. great so you know I, I owe the audience of a rare job a rare position that you're in you've mm -hmm. been going at it for a long time mm. um, you are um, you know, sort of, what's his name from Mad Men again? What's his, Don, Don Draper. Draper. Yes, I'm a latter-day Don Draper. So give us a... More of a Buddha Don Draper. <laughs> Buddha Don Draper. <laughs> Way more handsome. Um, way more memorable. And I want to, I definitely want to let you tell us, uh, okay. you know, really, what is the reason for anybody to want to work at an agency? What is Wow. That? Yeah. Well, that's a big question. I mean, I think... Well, that changes over the years, you know. Mm -hmm. I think the the reason that you want to work in a in an agency as a as a junior creative is completely different from why you would want to work in an agency as an executive creative director. They're completely different jobs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at your younger stages, you're it's it's all about creativity and the work that you do yourself and pushing yourself to think of things that other people haven't thought of or to perfect um, your craft at communicating or, or art direction or, you know what I mean? Like there's so much that goes into it that you do yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you work your way through the business and the better you get, the farther you move up and then you, f you know, I'm not the first one to say this, you, you move away from the things that drew you to it in the first place. So at some point you kind of have to find out from yourself whether those things that you're now doing still interest you. 
comparatively, you know, to what you were doing before. When you were like when I was an art director, I loved being an art director. I loved designing. I loved the the notion of of, of communication and being able to connect people, uh, connect to people. Um, just out of an intuition for it like I just kind of knew how to do it I guess um, but then you you know you find yourself in a creative director position and now you're doing things that you hadn't really planned on doing or didn't even think you had in your makeup mm-hmm. and you start to think about things that are more related to business and strategy and then you have this whole other layer of mentoring other people and for a long time, I think I didn't like being a creative director. I just didn't enjoy it because I didn't have my hands on the work. Like, I wasn't actually doing it, um, which is why I maintained a pretty decent free, freelance um, part of my life, just because it can touch things and work on things and design things. Um, but I did realize, as a creative director, that the things that I, that I liked were seeing other people succeed and, and knowing that their success was my success. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in particular, I remember one of our f- one of the first people I hired who really worked out was this guy named Rob Kotkamp. And Rob is now a uh, he's a creative director over at Mullen. He worked here for a long time, and we're good friends. And I think you know when I first started working with Rob, I started to realize that you know the input that I had in his work and working with him resulted in something as because of his talent like he was able to take input and direction and make things that were really great and I took a lot of satisfaction in his output because I he was really good and I actually thought he was a better art director than I was but I was able to help him get there so you 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 start to get a um, a sense that those things can be equally as satisfying although in a completely different way than being an actual art director I completely you know. echo that because on my position, I haven't mentored. I, I can't quite say that I mentor someone who became a creator director at mm-hmm. a renowned agency, but I've always enjoyed mentorship in general, whether that be uh, internships, college yeah. students, high school students, even. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We went down. You know, Jose Luis and I, who is a uh, for those of you who don't know, mm-hmm. was a, a, another group creative director here. He and I went down to the to the VCU. Uh, brand center this week and just had one-on-one meetings with students and talked to them about their aspirations and their portfolios and um, it was great because I haven't done that in a while with students but it was really great to just talk to people who are at the very beginning Mm -hmm. of their career and they have all these things to go through that you will probably have dealt with Um, but just sort of inspire that creativity in them and and sort of encourage them you know in, Mm -hmm. in, in, in that way. What are some of the cues you're looking for? The specific set of qualities? Um, well, I think, you know, there's, there's things that are fairly basic. Like, I think, you know, um, eagerness mm-hmm. is huge. Like, how willing you are to, to put yourself out there and work hard. Um, so that's really important. Um, personality. Like, just interesting personalities. And, you know, those, that runs the range. I mean, you meet some real, you know, kind of nutty people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you meet some people that are not so nutty. But then, you, you know, what you're looking for is um, people that are kind of easy to be around. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you're here all the time. So I think, you know, people that are, work really hard but that are easy to be around is, is a great combination. And then ultimately, you're looking for people that can come up with ideas which is a very difficult thing to figure out 
um, on some levels, and it's also super subjective. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we saw a couple students where they showed us some of their work, and right away you see, oh wow, they they know how to take something and turn it into something completely, mm -hmm. uh, you know, inspired or imaginative in a way that I never would have thought of. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's pretty easy to recognize once you see it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a little hard to to for some people to figure out even how to be creative. That's you funny know. that you touch base on this because just a couple of weeks ago I interviewed this um, uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller Claudia Azula Altucher. Mm. Yep. And she wrote this book. I, oh I, yeah, and I've heard her name. I think. Wow. Funny Altucher. Uh, Altucher. Altucher. James Altucher. Um, oh okay. Her husband and both oh, right. both okay. of them are influencers. So she wrote this book called The Idea Machine mm. on how to generate just. Uh, you know, almost like muscle memory, generate yeah. 10 ideas every day. Yeah. Uh, not to overlook, she said, try it. And you'll realize that the first three to five, sort of easy. Then yeah. the, the last five you really can struggle with and the yeah. ideas can have babies and they can emerge. Yeah. yeah, that's what's really exciting about, I, I think when you're starting out too, is realizing that when you're a junior creative, you're mm -hmm. afraid all the time. <laughs> you're afraid that you can't do it again. You really, I mean, like I was just so scared all the time. Like you'd get a project and you had just finished one. Mm -hmm. And in some ways you were like, you finished this project and you were relieved because it was over. <laughs> but then you have this new brief on your desk and you're like, oh my God, what if I can't do it? What yeah. if I literally can't come up with an idea? Mm -hmm. And then you, out of just sheer panic and desperation, <laughs> you start coming up with ideas. Yeah. And then what's exciting is you, f you, f you, you learn how to, teach yourself how to come up with an idea mm -hmm. if you're at a like a roadblock like if you're at a writer's block or a thinker's block you you remember back to those sort of exercises and how to shake it loose and mm -hmm. come through the back door on an idea or um, you know if you say you say to yourself like okay well what if the world didn't ex what if the world existed without this product where would we be or what if you know what I mean you just mm -hmm. ask yourself all these questions and they they lead to sort of different avenues and all of a sudden your ideas become like sort of these, these branches and mm -hmm. you know they kind of you know like you said your your ideas have ideas and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's quite exciting when you figure out that you have that ability you know how do you unblock yourself I guess back then versus now because some sometimes <laughs> I look around I even at a grocery store a CVS mm -hmm. one day I I experienced decision fatigue trying to choose the right shampoo for myself and right. I eventually just gave up. <laughs> for you, would, there's got to be the creativity fatigue as well because we can't be creative all the time and I'm not even in the creative domain. Yeah. So how do you? Um, do that? you know I don't know I think I think you need to take a break from it. Mm -hmm. I think that to me I, I mean for me it's important that I get away from it because I, th I find that coming at something fresh, like really fresh, like rested and um, not having thought about it for a while is really, really important. That varies, I think, greatly from person to person. Like mm -hmm. I, th I think some people actually, they definitely do, they thrive on constancy like and 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 like overproduction like they're co uh, constantly going and going and going and you've seen agencies that are actually set up to take advantage of that kind of dynamic like Crispin for example seems to have been or still is an agency that really thrives on constancy like being there all the time and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking mm. now I 
for, for me, I, I find that it's important that I have a life, and, and, and that helps me do better work. I really do. I really think that's important for me. Like, I'm not one that would probably, I, I probably would never have gotten hired at Crispin, nor kept my job at Crispin, because, because I think I, I need, like, I need things outside of my job to, to keep me interested in my job. Like, I always say that I think I really like my job because I really like my life. I couldn't agree more, yeah. and I, I try to stop myself from saying the word agree or completely or absolutely on my podcast, but on this note, one of the reasons I feel like I want someone like yourself to share your stories, for people who are junior or people you know, yeah. in my position or your position to really hear you out, it is extremely important for us to have passions, interests, or hobbies yeah. outside of what we do. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I definitely think it's important. I mean, look, you you know, as far as we know, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong, we're here once. And I think, you know, you should sort of figure out what's make what makes you happy. And then do do those things really well. You know what I mean? And if, if what makes you happy is being at an ad agency all day every day, that's fine. Do that and do it well. But if if you find that what makes you happy is having a great balance in your life between the things that you're just interested in and the work that you do because you're interested in it, then do those things well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, come in, like figure out what you like. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Like I think that's really a, a key to being happy in advertising is to figure out what what, what, what where are you happiest? Mm-hmm. Are you happy when you're home? Are you happy when you work? Or, when you're at work? Or are you happy when you're at both? Like, you know, you gotta kind of figure that out for yourself. And it really changes from person to person. I think all you, that you do, that outside of this agency environment outside of the zip code yeah it's really fueling into your creativity uh, your approach to not just uh, when things everything's going well but when yeah. things are not going well yeah um, to have that perspective so yes Indeed. I want to talk about food if that's okay with you let's do it yeah <laughs> and so I am a huge fan of Jamie Oliver and mm. if I were so creative today I would have brought my four or five of those hardcover yep. Jamie Oliver cookbooks. Yeah, I probably have a couple of those myself. Yeah. <laughs> I watch yeah. all of the shows. I started with the Jamie's Kitchen when he was like a kid. It's like mm. 19, 20 years old. Was that before The Naked Chef? That was The Naked, naked oh, Chef. Oh, that was The Naked Chef. Yeah. I loved that show. I thought that was just so different and mm. just simple. That's what I loved about it. Yeah. So simple. And cost nothing to produce. I think literally a friend with a $200 camera that's... In his kitchen. In his apartment. <laughs> Yep. I know. And people just like literally show up music. And I love the way he talked to the guy, the person holding the camera. Yeah, totally. That was really fun. (laughs) It was a great show. And he's a good character. He's a great TV personality. Mm. When it comes to food, and I'm a foodie, Mm. I come from, you know, I grew up in Beijing, my dad's Cantonese, mom is Mandarin. Mm. Food is is a ritual for people with my background, not just Chinese, but maybe Vietnamese, Malaysians. And I'm so glad you mm. have the same shared vision. You're a family man. You have yep. kids. I assume you cook at home, do you? I do now. I because I, I work in Boston and I live I live quite far away. Um, and my kids are pretty active in sports mm. uh, in their the sports that they're in. Um, so they eat actually pretty early in the day. Like they get home from school and my wife cooks for them during the week. But I cook when I'm home. Like I cook on the weekends and like if, if I take a vacation I, I'm at home I cook all of the meals and then I cook every night for myself oh what, yeah. what do you cook 
Um, you know what? I kind of pride myself on being able to make anything uh, that's okay. there. Yeah. You know, like being able to make something good for myself with whatever's there. Wow, that's like that's I a love talent. doing that. But that just comes from practice. I mean, I've uh -huh. I've worked in restaurants. My you know, I worked up until I was in my early twenties. Worked in restaurants my entire youth. I worked at a ton of Chinese restaurants, actually. What did you do at a Chinese restaurant? I worked in the kitchen, and I was and I was a waiter. You could cook now listen Chinese to this. Food. <laughs> I can cook a degree of Chinese, and I wouldn't consider it necessarily Chinese. Or all, although I couldn't tell you whether it was of a Cantonese or Mandarin influence. I don't know. As all I know is it's an Asian flavors, and and I actually. If there's, if I could pick one category of food to eat for the rest of my life, it would be Asian flavors, because I love Asian flavored food. We gotta go to Chinatown. Give me I an was, opportunity. I was actually gonna ask you. Let's go to lunch together, and then, because you know what? When I worked in the, when I worked in the Chinese restaurant, so here's a crazy thing, right? Yeah. So I'm in a high school in Scotland. I'm an American boy, in in Scotland in high school, just because that's, because my parents, that's where I was, and I worked part time in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> so as a waiter so like when you know when the people are sitting there and you come up to the table and you say can I take your order yeah. and they look at you like like what the hell is going on that's not, none of none of that accent should be anywhere near any of this but the best part about that was I I got to be really um, friendly with the wait staff and the kitchen staff and the owners of the restaurant and I would get invited to everything. Like I would get invited to weddings that they hosted. I oh, would yeah. get invited to Chinese New Year. You're the family uh, now. Yeah, and I ate the best food uh -huh. because of that. Like the staff meals were always super uh -huh. authentic because they were cooking them for themselves. None of that was on the menu, really. Like we'd have so these. Lucky. I remember this thing that I, I don't know what it's called, but it's a big bowl of really hot rice. And you put like raw meat in it, and then um, these like green onions and sesame oil, uh -huh. and then they had these dried fish sort of flakes that you mixed in with it, and it would cook the meat in the rice. I can't believe you attempt to attempt to eat that. Oh, it was so good! It, it was so ridiculously good. good. Oh, it is so good. And then they had this like one thing. It was like the seaweed that looked like it looked like a like a Chinese person's hair. Uh -huh. The black, jet yeah, black, yeah. but mm -hmm. just remarkable. I mean, I've always been a big food fan. My mom was a great cook. Uh -huh. We traveled all over the world, and so she always picked up recipes wherever she went. So I was always really into food, and my brother's a chef, and oh. so we were like real food family. But working in those restaurants, I got to eat the best food. It was insane. How long did it last? Well, I worked there, um, I worked at that restaurant uh, probably for three years. You were in Scotland for three years? Well, I lived in Scotland twice. I lived there when I was a kid, when I was very young, uh -huh. um, and then because my mother's from there, mm -hmm. and then I moved back there when I was a senior in high school, and then I went to college there. So I worked in their Chinese restaurant the entire time I was there as a part-time job. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, we are so five good. minutes away from Chinatown. There's no excuse. We have to. Let's go to lunch n next week. Yes, please. We'll just take a walk over there. You can drag me anywhere you want, and I'll eat it. That's the thing, too, is I will eat almost anything. Like, I love trying things that I've never tried. It's interesting. Sometimes I, I discover that people only order turkey club sandwich for yeah. lunch every day. No lettuce, no tomatoes. Oh. But, oh, man, I couldn't almost, like, barely no work with these people. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I have to like I have to have a constant diet of interesting things. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And if I find myself getting bored with the choices that I have, I'll just make my own thing. 
you know. What, what is that one thing that you made recently? Recently? Yeah, like what, what kind of ingredients do you, it's like a little dance, right? Like Yeah, well, I, you know, the thing that I made recently that I think is one of my favorite dishes that I make, it's a, it's like a, it's like a version of like a faux type uh -huh. soup. Oh, I love it. It's it's like my version of that. So so what I do is, but I make it with meatballs, and I make these meatballs with, um, they're pork and ginger meatballs. So they're pork with ginger and garlic and 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 you know other you know five spices in there, and there's like a lot of stuff in the meatballs. Uh -huh. And then I'll 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 just roast the meatballs in the oven, and then I'll put them in the soup, uh -huh. and the soup is like really simple it's like canned or like box chicken stock like a good box chicken stock like low sodium version mm -hmm. it'll have fish sauce in it hoisin sauce sesame oil um soy sauce mm -hmm. and probably rice wine vinegar or lime juice like some acidity in the broth mm -hmm. and then i'll just use ramen noodles like dried ramen and throw out the little salty pack that comes with it but the secret i think is i buy this little uh container of roasted chili paste and I'll cook that chili paste with garlic and ginger before I make the broth so the broth has all of that stuff in it and then you put it all in the bowl and then big handfuls of herbs so like cilantro and basil and mint yes right yes to all ingredients and then a little sriracha at the end or a little chili oil which I prefer chili oil to sriracha and then that's it. That's the whole thing. And it's actually really easy to make. You can buy all the ingredients at Stop and Shop. Like you don't have to go to you know fancy food markets mm. to to get any of this stuff. Is there like an Asian aisle? Like there that? is. Yeah, there's an Asian aisle. There's a couple brands like really good brands of prepared Asian things like uh -huh. chili paste and chili oil and uh -huh. roasted chili paste and stuff like that, or or like green chili paste. And you know it's it's readily available. Oh, I was gonna ask you if you are that. One white guy in an Asian grocery store. I am the store. one white guy in the Asian grocery store. <laughs> There's actually a great place over here. It's under a parking lot. It's over on uh, I don't know what the hell that street's called. Super sketchy looking. That super sketchy. And it it like you go in there, and it smells like fish. I know. But it's great. I mean, it's so good. Like if you want like wonton wrappers or dumpling skins or any anything like that that's your plan have you been there oh yeah i've been to it's all so the good stores. and they have a lot of such weird shit like, yeah yeah like dried shrimp and dried fish <laughs> and, but that stuff is all so good it's yeah. all so flavorful <laughs> I, you know sometimes i even surprise myself because there's a huge cantonese influence in boston yeah there's some finally some mandarin influence i'm actually a mix my dad's cantonese my mom's mandarin mm. But they're, right. you know, there's a mix. It's very different cuisine. I mean, you think about yeah. China as a big country, and those two places are like four hours apart by plane. I remember ordering this, like, this duck dish, and it was so covered. It looked so good, and I mm. ate the duck. I'm like, what are all these things underneath? I'm like, oh, slow down. What are these things? <laughs> it's like four pieces of duck and all this fried from the from the farm. You just don't know what oh, they right, are. Right, right. Yeah, um, don't ask too many questions. Exactly. So. You know, I, the thing is, too, I, I don't get really easily grossed out. I think it's probably because I worked in restaurants. Like, mm -hmm. most people are, not most people, but a lot of people are really easily grossed out. Like, like raw chicken grosses people out. Yeah, but I'm just not really that grossed out by stuff. I find it all kind of interesting, you know? Like, one time I was traveling and... Um, my friend John Simpson was actually with me. He's a writer that works here. He, we, we were in um, 
we were in Corsica shooting, mm-hmm. and they had this local ham. It was like a prosciutto type ham, like a dried ham, but the thing was cured with maggots. I'm not kidding. They basically cover the thing in something, and then the the maggots basically eat the eat the, uh-huh. the decay on the outside of this thing. But it's a it's a form of curing. Yeah. And I didn't I'd never heard of this. Yeah. And they told me about it, and I was like, well, that's kind of fucking weird. Yeah. And then when they brought it to us, it, they it was like in little really thin slices. Mm-hmm. And you could see the shells of the maggots on the outside of this thing. But I'm like, oh, I'm totally down with eating. I'll totally eat this. Because I thought, this, this, this has been cured like this for probably thousands of years. Yeah. How bad could it possibly be? It's got to be great. And it was amazing. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, it was amazing. But if you, you know, most people would never, ever get over the fact that there were these maggot shells all mm-hmm. over the place. They couldn't see past that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a big benefit that I'm not easily grossed out. You know, I wonder, sometimes it's like uh, nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. Why are we wired? Are, why are we human beings wired so differently? And sometimes I feel like I had this preconception of uh, if you're from big cities or Boston, New York, or you're um, exposed to a lot of variety. Yeah. But it's not always true. That I've met people who no. grew up in small towns, you know, yeah. also very open-minded. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I think I think there are people that have like a just a, a deeper appreciation for a range of tastes, mm. and it, they have it's, it's like a need for it. Like you have this desire to to eat things that that taste different or remarkable in some way. And some people just don't have that in them at all. They eat food to fuel themselves. That's kind of it. It's like a real basic need, and they have they have other things that make up that need for them like whether it's sports or you know reading or whatever it is but i'm just i'm i'm probably a lot like you like i'm one of these people that where food and the the chance to taste something is really exciting to me i i love i love that yeah. and i love making it as well like i love all all things about food i love everything about it i love the equipment i love the food i love the feeling of it I love the satisfaction of it. I love the creativity of it, the art of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great. The yeah. co- the community of it. I love all that. Yeah, and I think you all of a sudden you get uh, sort of gain natural exposure to different cultures, different communities, yeah. people. Yeah. And people can come together and talk about their stories. I feel like. Yeah. You know, like my my favorite memories as a child is sitting together with families, friends, and yeah, you know, part of the Asian culture, and I have a feeling that's sort of how your family culture is, mm-hmm. uh, is to be very welcoming and people sit down and share their stories. Yeah, I always remember that. Yeah, so. yeah. I want to ask a secret secret origin story. It's my sure. new favorite uh, question group, which I stole from James Altucher. And what is what is a secret origin question? Uh, it was actually from uh, comic books, uh, mm-hmm. secret origins of superheroes. Uh, for instance, uh, Batman is not so interesting as a great detective, and he's really rich. The secret origin story was that he um, witnessed his parents right. Um, right. killed or murdered. Yeah, he's psychotic. Uh, psychotic, exactly. <laughs> right. I wonder if you were always like this. You're naturally like this. Um, but what are something that like you don't carry uh, on the surface on yourself that I would love to? That's a about? great question. That's such a yeah. good question. I actually think my secret origin story and what people don't know about me that I think is a really um, uh, a bit a, a reason that I that I 
I guess tend to be like I am as as a person, which I think is very open and easy to get along with, and I make friends very quickly. Um, I, I think when I was seven, um, my father left left us, left me and my mom and my brother. They just left, <laughs> gone. Um, and we moved to Scotland because that's where my mother was from. So she was a you know a young. Scottish woman, slightly undereducated, no means of making a living, all of a sudden with two boys and no husband. So we moved to Scotland. This all sounds very tragic, but actually has such a very happy ending. <laughs> um, she, uh, we moved to Scotland because that's where her parents were. So she basically moved back home. So very difficult, I'm sure, for her to deal with. So I, I found myself as a seven-year-old American boy in Scotland without a father, with a funny accent and funny clothes and, you know, a lot of sort of curiosity. And I um, got picked on a lot, like a ton. Mm -hmm. And I got beat up a lot. And I found that the more I blended in with people, the easier it was. So I, I kind of mastered this art of, of mimicking local accent, like I could speak like a local Scottish boy like to a to a T, and I can still do it. I can still actually do a really good Scottish accent. <laughs> and um, when I did that, I found I got along with people quicker, and I just kind of became like easy to get along with. Like I didn't really never got into fights. Like I never, you know, I just kind of like I kind of like m m you know mitigated my the stress in my life by not not getting into scuffles and arguments and things like that. And I just kind of like was very very mellow and I made friends very quickly and then the other thing that happened was my my mother met uh, uh, my stepfather John who's a great guy um, and he was in a business that kept us moving around the world so by the time I was 20 like in my early 20s I had moved every three years my whole life so I had this horrific sort of childhood experience when my father left all of a sudden, we had a stepfather. He was a great guy, and we moved around. We kept moving, so my ability to make friends became like an imperative, because we would we would pack up just you know as I got to know people and, and started to have a a system of friends, we would leave. So the only the only way to to survive something like that without going crazy is to basically land in a new place and start to make friends quickly. So I became, I, I think it's helped me in advertising because you're constantly meeting new people. And it's such a relationship business that your ability to get along with people and understand them or not judge them is very important. Um, so I, f I, f I feel like that's my secret origin story is like I think my success in advertising, a relationship business, is born out of this, you know, these, these experiences that I've had, some bad and some great. But this, this uh, you know, this need to sort of constantly be open and friendly, mm -hmm. which I love, like I, I, I don't have a problem with that obviously, um, is, is a fundamental part of what I do, mm. you know? So that's my secret origin story. Great story. <laughs> How many people in this agency? A handful yeah. probably know that, a handful. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not until someone asks me yeah. a question that, you know, 
that results in me having told them. Like once someone learns that I lived somewhere else, mm-hmm. they they will ask me more questions, and then eventually that story gets comes unfolded. But usually, I don't have just don't have the opportunity to sort of talk about it, nor you know, nor reason to talk about it. There's really no reason to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Do you speak different languages, or mostly there? The no, English? it's all accents. I only yeah. speak English. Yeah. I speak. Uh, the tiniest bit of French, only because I, I I was there for five weeks once, but I only know how to say like bread and ice cream, <laughs> you know, and beer. Yeah. Um, but no, I just I have an ability to do accents, and I also do impersonations. Like, I did um, voiceovers for Fidelity for a while. Yeah. But it was just me on the end of the commercial. Mm-hmm. Like I would just say, um, Fidelity Investments, smart move. That was it. That's really all I did. Or I read some legal copy or something like that. But <laughs> that's really copy. it. That's all, that's all I did. So it, it's fun to do. What I'd really like to do, though, is what I've always really wanted to do was a character on a cartoon. Like, I think that would be awesome. You would be perfect. I've never pursued that. Why not? But I've, but I've always thought that would be so much fun to do that. Okay, that's a project. Maybe we can work on together. That'd be great. Yeah, I'd love to do it because I can. I love doing characters. I I loved, you know, when I was in high school, I, I loved being in plays and acting. Like I loved all that. I thought it was just fun. So I tend to stalk my um, my guests a little bit before the show, and what I find to be really stunning was, and it didn't make mm-hmm. as much sense to me. You're so close to all of your kids. Mm-hmm. I see you a lot as um, swim meets. Yeah, that's my life. (laughs) More than one kid clearly is a... Yeah, we have four kids, and my oldest is 21, Mm -hmm. and it's my son Connor. He's a great guy. They're all swimmers. We just It's a longer story, but they all ended up getting into swimming, and they're all pretty good at it. Um, So my eldest son Connor is 21. I have a daughter. I have two daughters, Aiden and Ripley, and they're... they're, uh, 18 and 14 respectively and then my youngest son Finn is 11 and they're all swimmers so I spent a lot of time around swimming pools Wow. (laughs) Was it, I mean, really quickly, was it like, are they inspired by their older siblings or are they... They all just, you know, my my two eldest, we used to go to this pool that was in our town. Mm -hmm. It was down the street and we got to know one of the lifeguards there and he said, hey, you guys want to come try out for the swim team? And that was literally the start of it. Mm-hmm. And we said, yeah, let, yeah, let's try that. Let's get them into something. And they started it, and the more they did it, the better they got, and the better they got, the more they liked it. And and here we are with four kids. And, you know, with my two youngest ones, they were around the pool all the time because we were there with the older ones. Yeah. So at that point, you're like, you want to swim or do you want to sit around? <laughs> you know? Well, you might as well swim if we're here. So yeah. they ended up they ended up doing it, and um, and they're all really good at it. Wow. Yeah. That's that's fabulous. Yeah. I love watching, uh, just looking at photos of you and your kids, your <laughs> sons, your daughters. I mean, uh, there there's a pretty big age difference. Yep. Uh, you know, as we all know, teenagers don't want to have anything to do with their parents. But <laughs> looking at pictures alone, they're like they're hugging you. They they're taking <laughs> selfies with you. It's true. Yeah. Um, and I was really shocked because <laughs> you know, to you, it happens naturally. So, uh, what, why do you think you have such a different relationship with your teenage teenage kids? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just we just get along really well. I think we all have a similar sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I I don't know what it is. I, I I really can't explain it. Like my my kids are just really nice to me, mm-hmm. and you know, you I think lucky. <laughs> I'm very lucky. I mean, yeah. I you know, you hear some horror stories about kids who's you know 
the parents whose kids are just really nasty to them. But I, th- I think, you know, I, I think it's got a lot to do with how we are as parents. Like, you know, my wife, Mary, is the best mom ever. I mean, she is so good with the kids and she's really smart and, um, you know, she taught them everything. Like, she taught them all how to read at an early age and it was super engaged as a mother. Like, never, like, um, you know, you know, and every it's to each his own. Everyone has their own method for parenthood, and there's no right or wrong way. But Mary was always really involved with the kids. We never had a a, a nanny. We never had someone who was sort of providing the parent role at the same time. We were just very lucky that we were able to do that. Because um, I I I I've worked outside of the home, and Mary's sort of maintained, you know, all the the hard job of working as a mom yes, and working with kids and raising jobs. kids. So um, I can definitely say I can only point to just us as a parents and our personalities and, and that is rubbed off on our kids and we just get along really well. I mean, my kids are all pretty easygoing. They're all quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're just, a, they're you know, certainly some of it's nature and some of it's nurture, but I think they're a real product of just a good upbringing I like just we're I think we're decent parents and I don't you know I don't think we're overly strict but we don't take a back seat like we expect certain things of them mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. good grades and, and, and trying hard and mm-hmm. no lying and all you know things are just kind of normal but um, I think they're kind of just a product of that and, and they're all just good anyway you know I, <laughs> I feel like we we work with a lot of people um, who are you know, many of the, the younger folks out there don't have yep. kids, and yeah. um, I'm entering into an era where, you know, I'm not married yet, but I definitely want to have kids, yeah. maybe two of them, yeah. and then we're, you know, Madeline, a few folks have really young kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder, because I feel like you've, you've been doing this for a little while. A long time. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. What are some of the counterintuitive learnings as, um, have you learned as a parent, and the way it, the reason we're going to ask this type of question is because there's always that often misconceptions of mm-hmm. even parents or parents to be to say, I'm going to do A, B, and C. And yeah. everything as a young person, you're like, everything has to be in order. Uh, it's like perfect yeah. or not, fix it. And, yeah. um, you know, like what are some of the counterintuitive things you feel like you've succeeded with? You know, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. I mean, I, that would have, I'd have to think about that. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think my approach as a parent is just to be, re, you know, I, I just want to be really supportive. Like, I want my kid, you know, like even the swimming thing. Like, I could care less if my kids went to the Olympics. I mean, I think it would be awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I really just wanted them to be healthy. That, yeah. That's the only reason I put them in, you know, got them involved in swimming. Mm-hmm. And then once they committed to it, like, you know, and they agreed to do it, we said, okay, well, you, you know, you can't just quit during the middle of the season just because you don't like it. Like, you have to finish the season. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of, like, doing what's good for them. But also there are lessons to be learned along the way about commitment and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't I don't know what I could have done that's what I would would say is sort of counterintuitive. I, I I don't know. I just think it like for me it's just I want my kids to be really supported. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to be happy. I want them to feel like I will do anything for them. You know what I mean? Cuz it's so unconditional. Like I someone was actually talking about this once recently that you know there's this assumption that 
the love between parent and child is unconditional. It's actually not true. I don't think it's true either. I think your your love towards your kids is unconditional, but it's not true the other way. Like you can't be a shithead as a parent and expect unconditional love. So you can't be unsupportive and you can't be like, you know, a, an overlord to your kids and, and, and berate them and belittle them and expect that to be unconditional the other way. It's just not the case. Mm-hmm. You have to be a good person, mm-hmm. you know? And then you get the love back, but your love towards your kids is unconditional, and, and I think it, it should be, you know. <laughs> I, I was arguing, you know, as a non-parent, I was arguing with someone, uh, a, <clears throat> a man who said, "I think that the best gift I could give to my three kids are um, no college loans, like no debt after school, mm. uh, after college." I said, "You know mm. what? I disagree. I feel like before that, I, that that's a great goal, but." Yeah. Uh, to me, I feel like when I have kids, I want to be balanced. I want to be a happy and supportive person first yeah. before trying to seek that energy out of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and consider them as an extension. So, well, just be happy and be kind. Yeah, that I think that's. I think the basics of of, you know, I I had such a tough part of my childhood. Like it was really hard, for obvious reasons. You know. Um, that that was very difficult, and I remember being anxious a lot, and being sad a lot, and being you know confused a lot. And I didn't want any of that for my kids. I wanted them to be so really happy, just happy. I wanted them to look back on their childhood and say, "Yeah, I had a great I had a great childhood. It was a lot of fun." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we don't do crazy stuff. Like we don't go on trips a lot. We don't. You know, we've never been to Disney World. We don't have a dog. Like, there's a lot of shit that my kids would be like, you, you suck as parents because we haven't done anything. But I think they'll all be able to look back and say, no, we had a happy life. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a happy house. Mm-hmm. My parents were, were, were tough, but they were fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think just being happy is such a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Completely. Yeah. Um, I love that answer. And... Um, I'm going to wrap up with one last question. Okay. I love this question when it was um, kind of posed to a, an investor, in this case is a, is a woman um, who's, a, I guess, a billionaire. The question to her is that you have, I think, for her, three daughters, mm-hmm. and what would you leave um, for your kids that is not money? That What would you wish to, to, to leave behind for what your children? I, of, like, things that I own, or what do um, you mean? Not not money could be things you own or could be wisdom. I I really think that the thing that I would leave with them, uh, um, that I would would hope to leave with them is that um, life is a lot better if you are honest and you are straightforward and you try to make the people around you happy. Like if that's a goal f- for you, like like how do you get people around you to be happy? Mm-hmm. You know, and and doing that like honesty and directness is is a key to that, and just being you know having having good humor. Like I I actually think of my uncle um, Bill. Like my uncle Bill was a very s- profound influence in my life. Like when my parents when my dad left and we moved back to Scotland to live with my my grandparents, my uncle Bill was my mother's older brother, and he was the most fun guy I've ever met in my life. Like always good-natured, always funny, always teasing you, you know? But the thing is, like, the thing that, that he, re- that I really, that I think I learned from him was through any adversity, maintaining 
an, a, a sense of humor and a sense of, of, of lightness to your life, it really is important, you know? And he, was, he had this ability to make everyone around him happy or laugh or just feel at ease, you know? And I think that, that that's something that I hope my, I would leave with my kids. Like, I'd hope they'd always say, well, he was just a fun guy to be around, you know? Wow. Yeah. I just, I just while listening to you, I just feel like everything disappeared. The <laughs> room extended out. Um, thank you know, here's you. a funny anecdote about my Uncle Bill. He actually talked a guy out of suicide once just by joking with him. He, this guy, him. this guy, my uncle Bill was a, a was a medic on a, on oil rigs. Like he worked as a like a like a medic, like a nurse on oil rigs. And this guy um, was going to kill himself. He was going to basically jump off of the rig, which you know in in Scotland, if you jump off that, you basically have three minutes in the water or something. It's so cold, it's like you'll die right away. Yeah. So my uncle Bill said he talked to him for a while, and he said uh, he said he said, well, look. If you're if you're gonna do this, then I'm gonna do it with you. So l- let me go get my shorts. <laughs> and the guy, he said, the guy basically just started laughing, and he basically talked to the guy out of doing this by getting him to laugh, like getting him to feel good. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, and I've always thought of it. I thought, like, what a what a what a talent to have. <laughs> like, what a great effect to have on people yeah. is to make them. F- completely changed their mind about taking their life to being like, oh, maybe it's not so bad after all. Yeah, is Uncle Bill still around? No, he died. He died a few years ago. Yeah, he he was very unexpected. And yeah, he unfortunately passed away. But um, but what a what a legacy of like that he left like everyone who knew Bill Mm. just knew how great Bill was. He could have been a great guest on the show too. He would have been awesome. He was so funny. Yeah. He was the funniest guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those are the people you remember. Oh, so. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. I look forward to lunch in Chinatown multiple times. Yes, let's go to lunch and then we will schedule round two where we can talk about what are we talking about? Cars. Cars. Yeah, oh, cars. cars. Band. Yeah, but, yeah. And the band. Yeah. Oh my God, the band. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. I'm High five. Oh. Big oh. hug. See? Hug him like a Buddha. I know. It's so, <laughs> so cool. I know you got to run, so right, I'll thanks, let Faye. you. Thanks, oh. That was great. I really so enjoyed fun. that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did, too. Thank you. Okay. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Wade Devers. I also want to let you know that I have a new audio editor on board for the Face World podcast. His name is Matt Siegel. Matt is new to podcasting, but I have been so impressed by his instinct, and I love how he puts his thoughts into action. Sing.